If you have a Bible, open to the Gospel of Mark. We're continuing our Mark series this morning, and we are in chapter 8 today. And if you have a Red Pew Bible, that's page 843. The whole text is Mark 8, 1 through 33, but we're just going to read the first uh, 10 verses here together before Albert comes, and he'll walk us through the rest of it. So Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 1, In those days when, a great, when again a great crowd had gathered, and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they'll faint on the way, and some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them, and they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Delmanutha, the word of the Lord. Good morning. <clears throat> well, uh, <laughs> I'll be joining the choir, by the way. <clears throat> um, I have a different look to me. I, <clears throat> I lost my glasses. So, um, you know, towards the end of this uh, section you, that the blind man sees, and it's all people with look like trees. You look like trees. So, um, but you know something really cool that I do need to share with you is a couple of weeks ago we had a like a healing prayer time. Um, at that time, I had a, a grade three muscle strain on my left calf. I went to go see my doctor, and she said, "Oh, that's going to take six to eight weeks." And I told her, my mother-in-law bought us Disneyland tickets, my kids and me, to go to Disneyland. I got to go. And she was like, you're not going to Disneyland. So she even wrote me a note for one of those uh, motorized uh, carts. So when I get there, I could get one. And, and then, um, so I, I have to say thank you for your prayers because you saw that I just walked up here. Um, so I went to Disneyland Tuesday, Wednesday. And I was limping on Tuesday, but limping, walking enough that I was going through the whole park. And I walked... I don't know, was it eight miles or something? So, and then on Wednesday, it was totally gone. Like, I, I could walk, and I could, no problem and everything. So, somebody here has the prayer of healing. Use it. Like, come on. Like, use it. Like, it, it worked for me, and it's so amazing. Now, pray for my eyes, and I won't have to spend money on glasses anymore and all this wonderful stuff. I will tithe it back to the church and, you know... Anyway, let's pray. <laughs> Father, we thank you so much for your word, and we ask God that the miracles of you offering salvation happens. We believe in your spirit working today, that it has not ceased in years past, but it is active today, just as I am a testimony to the prayer of healing that someone here has that gift and so, Lord, would you work mightily in our community in Jesus' name. Amen. 
a lot of verses this morning. We're going through verses 1 through 33, and some of you might be thinking, like, why is he doing so many? It's because it, it, it kind of mirrors uh, passages that we've already read, <clears throat> and Jesus is repeating a lot of these lessons. So um, what, what we're going to do is we're kind of going to try to compare and contrast uh, these sections. So that's why we're, we're covering so much. And as we are going through this section of Scripture, towards the end of this message, we're going to find this really, really crucial point found in verse 29 where Jesus is recognized as the Christ by Peter. Now what we, what Steve has read for you already, it, it might seem familiar because that kind of happened, right? Jesus fed 5,000. And so we already read that in chapter 6, and here we read of the feeding of 4,000. We also read in chapter 6 of the disciples getting into a boat and not understanding about the feeding of the loaves and the bread. And here we also find the disciples still not understanding about the feeding of the loaves and the bread. And then we got to chapter 7 where Jesus healed this deaf man with a speech impediment and the people declare he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. And in our text Today, we find Jesus healing a blind man and a declaration that Jesus is the Christ. So this morning, we're going to take a look at these similarities between the chapters because there's something really important within them, and that's why these lessons are repeated. These repeated lessons were needed to reach this conclusion that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Savior. He is the Messiah. The disciples needed to be healed from their deafness like the man from chapter 6. And they needed to be healed from their blindness like the man from chapter 8. And like any of us who have not recognized Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, we need to reach the conclusion as well. And we need our ears opened and our eyes opened. Pastor Steve read verses 1 through 10, so uh, I'll just skip that section. And what we see is this repeated compassion Jesus had towards people. In Mark chapter 6, verse 34, we're told that Jesus had compassion on the crowd. And here in chapter 8, verse 2, Jesus said, I have compassion on the crowd. And you notice what Jesus' compassion led him to do. Continuing in chapter 6, verse 34, from chapter 6, he said, And he began to teach them many things. And then in chapter 8, verse 2, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. Now what was happening during those three days that the crowd had been with Jesus? He was teaching them. He was teaching them. See, Jesus was also very practical. He did feed the people who were hungry. We read in chapter 6, verse 42. And they ate, they all ate, and were satisfied. We also read in chapter 8, verse 8. And they ate and were satisfied. Again, the similarities. But his compassion didn't lead Jesus to do one without the other. It led Jesus to teach them and to address their physical needs. Now, what did Jesus teach them? We've gone to this verse over and over again. It's back to chapter 1, verse 15. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus had compassion on the crowd in chapter 6, verse 34. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. 
In chapter 8, verse 2, Jesus had compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. And so during those three days, no doubt, Jesus taught them. This is something that we hold in high esteem here at Regeneration. We teach. And we believe and declare that the time is fulfilled, that the kingdom of God is at hand. We preach repentance, and we preach and teach that for that change, to be transformed by the power of God, to regenerate. That's our regeneration. <laughs> we believe in teaching the gospel that we are transformed by the power of God. We teach the story of Jesus, that Jesus is the Christ. He is Savior who saved us from sin, which separates from God, and he is the only one who can rebuild communion with God. And when people come to church, we believe God can change people, that God can change their hearts, that God can open their eyes and open their ears, and that's why we teach the word of God. God's word changes people. It's this really mysterious kind of thing. It's a, it's a dynamic thing. I don't know how he does it, but he does speak through his word. I don't know how many times that I've had somebody come up and just say, like, hey, did my wife tell you something about, like, what's going on in my life? Or a uh, husband come, hey, did, did, you know, did, you know, what, did you say that because of me? And I'm like, no, I didn't. Um, and if I did, your wife would kill me if I told you. But... No, it's just the Word of God. It's dynamic, it's living, and it speaks. Now, of course, there are practical aspects to our teaching. That was what Jesus did. He fed thousands of people. And so we have ministries that serve the homeless, the refugee community, under-resourced children and youth, and many other great underserved communities that you all minister to. We need both. We can't be just one or the other. We need both of those things. And we know that a meal may fill someone's stomach, but it doesn't change their heart. And a person whose heart is changed still experiences an empty stomach without the food. And so in many of life's challenges, there is something we can learn from the Word of God, and there's something we can practically do to help. We need to address the spiritual and the other needs we experience as People. Another similarity that Mark points out from chapter 6 is this question Jesus asked in chapter 6, verse 38. How many loaves do you have? He asked that again in verse 5 of chapter 8. Why did Jesus ask that question again? Because they're not getting it. And some of you might be thinking, like, I don't get it either. Get what? Like, get what? That Jesus is Christ. That Jesus is Messiah. That's the declaration at the end of this chapter. And so there are many references in the Old Testament that would inform Jews to know that only God commands the wind and the sea. Here's one of them. Psalm chapter 107, verse 25. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. And then you skip down to verse 29. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. See, only God does that. And so that's why they were, they were filled with great fear. 
wondering who Jesus is, even though they only know God commands the wind and the sea, but they still don't quite get this. So Jesus gave them a, a few more hints to let them in on who he is. How many loaves do you have? He asked that question twice. And why does he ask that question? Again, a reference found in the Old Testament, Psalm 146. And this was a psalm that was uh, shared at the prayer at our prayer and worship night uh, last Monday. And thank you, Jane, for leading that. I was really looking at you. I wasn't just looking at the vicinity. I was looking there. It, it was such a wonderful time of prayer and worship. And so please join us tomorrow night at 8 p.m. But here's what it reads in Psalm 146, starting in verse 5. Blessed is he whose help is, uh, who, whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. So, hey, disciples, do you get it? Do you get it? Wind, seas, feeding the hungry. Like, do you get this stuff? You know, I, I'm the one that calmed it. I'm the one that fed 5,000. I'm going to ask this question again because I just fed 4,000. But they don't get it yet. They don't get it. They don't get that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior. Now, verse 11, chapter 8. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them. Have you ever thought of that? that, that those words just stood out so much to me. This is a really scary thought, isn't it? Verse 13, Jesus left them. Like, Blam, 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 blam. <laughs> I, I wish there was a mic at that time, too, because Jesus probably would have went. <laughs> like, you, you know? So that's what happened to the Pharisees. In verse 9, Jesus sent the people away. He sent them away satisfied. Satisfied. He taught them for three days. And then he fed them, and off they went satisfied. But here with the Pharisees, they begin to argue with them. Leaves them. He leaves them. Now, why? Have you guys heard of the term crazy makers? Like, you talk to them, there's just no way, no way to reason with them. There's no way to talk with them. They just keep on cycling back over, and then they start saying the same things. And it's just, there's no way to get through to them. See, there's no way to convince the Pharisees of something different from what they already believed. Because, look at this. They're asking for a sign. Jesus just fed 4,000 people. A sign? With just a few small fish and a few loaves, and, he fed, and you're asking for a sign. See, these people, they just, they just want to argue. That's all they want to do. You ever meet those people like that? They, all they want to do is they want to argue? Aren't they your favorite people? <laughs> I have to withhold myself. Not to physically do something to those people. They drive me nuts. All they want to do is they want to argue. They just want to be argumentative. And they're, they're looking for a fight. Now, if people are genuinely inquisitive and they're curious and they're interested, you know, that's a totally different thing. But if it's just to quarrel, just to antagonize 
you know what? Move on. Just move on. See, people have wanted to talk about things at the church, right? Talk. They want to talk. And they want to discuss theology or, or matters of the church. And you know what? I am all for that. I want to do that. I want to have those discussions. And Pastor Steve and many of the people who serve at the church, including myself, we are good with talking about such things. We are good with that. We want to do that. And if it's too difficult for me, that's who I'm going to be sending you to anyway. It's Pastor Steve. So anyway, we all... Now, I can't speak for everybody here, but if, if it gets into the realm of argument, I'm already starting to look for my exit route. Like, I'm just looking. I'm just looking for my way out. I, and, and it's not that I'm rude or that I'm afraid or whatever. I'm just imitating Jesus. That's what, all right? So, you're like, hey, 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 no, no, no. Um, I'm going to leave you. Because um, you're arguing with me, and I'm going to be like Jesus, and I'm going to go get on a boat and go across Lake Merritt, and you know. <laughs> there are people here who don't get who Jesus is. Just like the disciples didn't get it until later, and just like the Pharisees, there are people who are looking for reasons not to believe in Jesus, and they have all sorts of arguments, and they have all sorts of conditions that they want to lay before Jesus, like show me a sign, or all this kind of stuff. And you know what? Here's the thing. Jesus is not going to argue with you about those things. He's not. In fact, he's left already. You might be like, hey, hey, blah, blah, blah. he's gone. He's not arguing with you about that stuff. He's shown you enough signs. But if there was a true humility in our approach, a true desire to believe, then you know what? We're in for quite an encounter with God. You'll be satisfied. But Jesus will not quarrel with you. If Jesus' compassion for people, his, his miracles attributed only to God in the scriptures, his teachings and his own life consistent with those teachings, if those things are not enough evidence, and on top of that, you want to argue about it, Jesus has left the building. He, he's gone. And, and many of you are, are really bright. You are incredibly bright. You've gone to prestigious universities, and, and you're just plain smart. I, I'm very humbled to be serving in a church with so many big brains. And here's the thing. Christianity will satisfy your brilliant minds. It will satisfy your big brains. It will. But here's another thing. Nothing will satisfy your big head. Nothing. See, Christianity can stand up to any amount of intellectual challenge, any amount, but arrogance, a big head, can't fit at the table. It just can't, right? The head's too big. You can't fit through the door. Like, it's too big. Jesus got into the boat again and went to the other side. Now, they had forgotten to bring bread and they had only one loaf with them in the boat, and he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. What? 
Did they really just do this? But this is so like us, isn't it? This is so like us. God is speaking to us about something important, and then we're just concerned with a loaf of bread or something else, something just minor. You know, how often do we not understand God? How often are we hard-hearted and deaf and blind to the things of God? Verse 17, and Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full? Of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? And they didn't. Nor will they understand Jesus to be Messiah, Savior, Christ, without God's revelation. Not until he opens our eyes and our ears to understand him. In the next verses concerning the blind men are a picture of what needed to happen to the disciples and what needs to happen to us. You see, the work of God is a work of God. And the work of people is not the work of God. If it's going to be a God thing, it's going to be a God thing. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. We can't understand the things of God without God. Trying to make sense of heavenly things without a heavenly mind is impossible. This doesn't mean we don't think or that we don't reason the beliefs that we have, but we don't See God without God. Now, for what this blind man illustrates to us, because just as this blind man needed Jesus in order to see, so do we need Jesus in order to see him, and so did the disciples. Verse 22, And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. So we see again that people brought the blind man to Jesus, and that's how it works. If we want people to meet Jesus, we have a part in bringing them to Jesus. And then we see Jesus' compassion toward the people in need again. Verse 23, And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? Now some may find this strange that Jesus spit on this guy's eyes and laid his hands on him. But, But like in the story of the deaf man that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, when Jesus put his fingers in his ears and and he touched his tongue, it was a way to communicate what parts Jesus was going to heal. Because this guy can't see, right? So you can't see what I'm going to do, so I'm going to communicate to you by, by touch, and I'm going to ask you about it. And so for any of us who have been in communication with blind people, we know how important the sense of touch is, right? When you're speaking with the blind person. Verse 24, and he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. 
Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly, and he sent him to his home, saying, Do not enter the village. You can go home on your own, right? You, you don't need person, people leading you through the town or the village or anything like that anymore. You can navigate this for yourself. And so forever, for however long this man was blind, he needed assistance to, for others to bring him to the village to beg, most likely. Right? And so that was the only way for a blind person to survive unless a family member can provide for them or friends could provide for them. But if the blind person could not survive with the help of family and friends, they would have to beg for alms. And so friends and family would gather this person, walk them through the village, put them wherever they are usually at and seat them there and then have them beg. So we have here a blind man who was most likely a beggar who has been transformed to someone who could now see and no longer had to beg for his life. And so here's a picture of a person who has encountered Jesus. You were once blind, but now you see. And from not understanding who Jesus is to understanding who he is. And Jesus healed a lot of people. Many people healed by Jesus weren't even identified. And there are several occurrences in the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, and Luke where it just reads that he healed many. Or that he healed all. Or he healed them all. There were a lot of people he healed. So why is this particular man identified as being healed by Jesus? We have to look at the context of this healing. What happened before this healing? What happens after this healing? So before this healing, we read in verse 18, having eyes you do not see, and having ears you do not hear. That was a couple weeks ago, right? The deaf man, right? He healed a deaf man and he healed a blind man, but the disciples were still deaf and they were still blind as to the identity of Jesus. And just as the physical deafness and blindness was healed by Jesus, so will the spiritual deafness and the spiritual blindness that are in need of the touch of Jesus for his disciples, including any of us, to be able to hear and to see who Jesus really is. Verse 27, And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. See, people didn't recognize Jesus as the Christ. Just like today, there are many that don't recognize Jesus as the Christ. Many people thought of him as a prophet, just like many people today. And then Jesus asked his disciples directly the question. The guys that Jesus invited to be with him 
who, who dropped their jobs and followed him. They followed Jesus into places filled with sinners and sick people, people he told that their sins were forgiven and who can forgive sins but God, another indication of who Jesus is. And they experienced miracles, including the calming of the wind and the sea, which gave them another indication of who he is. And, and they were there with Jesus when he fed thousands and he taught them. So clue after clue after clue about who Jesus is and they're still not understanding who he is until right here. But who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, answered Peter. And it's not like Peter was brilliant and he figured it out. I get it. You fed thousands two times and you calmed the seas and you've been forgiving sins. I get it. You're the Christ. No, that's not what happened. Matthew chapter 16, verse 17. It reads this. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. It wasn't because he was so smart. God revealed it to him. It was God who revealed that to Peter. It wasn't because he was so brilliant and he reasoned and he logically figured this out. It was a revelation from God. And there was a lot of evidence to support this claim. But it wasn't the evidence that helped Peter see the Christ. God did that. Sometimes we are in absolute wonder as to how people can't see God. Because there's so much evidence. There's so much evidence. We see all the evidence. How come others can't see it? And we hear all the logic and all the reasoning. How come others can't hear that? And it's not because we're so smart that we've been able to recognize Jesus as God. It is simply by his grace that he has revealed himself to us. And then there's another similarity in that Jesus told them not to tell anyone about him, just as he told the people around the deaf man not to tell anyone, and he told the blind man not to enter the village. Why does he do this? Why does Jesus do that? Because it seems like a pretty good marketing strategy, doesn't it? Like, heal this, go tell everybody. Right? Like, he tells them to not tell everyone because they don't have the full story yet. They don't understand everything yet. See, the people around the deaf man and the blind man, they don't, they didn't, they don't have that 30,000 view, foot view looking down at this entire story. The, the disciples didn't get that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, until here it's starting to click for them. And so those people who witnessed the healing, they wouldn't get it. They thought that he was just another prophet. You know, they got the answer right, but they didn't really know what that meant, and the subsequent chapters will go into that. At this point, they didn't fully understand that Jesus, being the Christ, what that even meant. Neither did many other people. Many others in Jesus' time thought that the arrival of Messiah, what that would mean would be an overthrow of the Roman Empire. That's what they thought it would be. That's what the zealots thought would happen. And that it would be a political revolution to overthrow the Roman Empire. And others had other thoughts as to what the Messiah would do. And there were already many false ideas of what Christ would do. And Jesus would lay it all out. He would live, die, resurrect, ascend, 
all of it out. And after the whole plan played out, would Christ be truly, completely revealed? Only then. And here is where Jesus started unveiling this divine plan after the revelation that he is Christ. Verse 31, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly, and they still didn't get it. They didn't like this plan. Even though the Old Testament prophets prophesied about this, but, but we're not all that different, are we? There are many who want a Jesus who overthrows governments rather than a Jesus who bears the cross. There are many who want political solutions to the wrongs of the world rather than eternal solutions to our brokenness and our darkness and our injustice. It's just like us. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. You know, how often do we attempt to correct God? A lot. How often do we take up a similar strategy as Satan? Because what did Satan do? Essentially, this is what Satan did. He rejected the will of God. And so he threw up all these distractions to redirect Jesus from following the will of God. The temptations, right? Not the, not the singers, the, the temptations. The will of God was for Jesus to redeem us of our sins. That's the will of God. That was his plan. To pay for our sins by substituting his life for our life. And what is the gospel that we share? That we at regeneration. Because without the cross, without the cross of Jesus, it is all a distraction to the will of God. It's all a distraction. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 17 through 18. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is, is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is it. That's it. What gospel are we preaching? What gospel are we living out? And just, you know... Jesus became sin for us because we are all sinful. Yet how many people who claim to be Christians focus on secondary things of Christianity? And so they focus on family or marriage or finances or justice or kids or all these really, really important matters of life. but you don't necessarily need Jesus to do those things well, do you? 
I know a lot of people with great families, better families than Christian families. I know a lot of people whose financial house is in better order than Christians. I know a lot of non-believers who are fighting for justice more than Christians. You don't need Jesus for those things. None of those things cleanse us from the sinners we are. See, only Jesus and him crucified does that. And then you get all these other benefits and ways to live and guidelines to, to live that way. See, the cross does something really amazing that the world does not do. The cross rids us of our self-righteousness. Because you go out there and people think, hey, it's my co- this cause is the best cause. Like, what, whatever you believe, it has to be what I believe in order to be, like, the good thing. And if you don't believe that thing, then I'm going to hit you over the head with a wooden stick or I'm going to kick you while you're on the ground when you protest against me or whatever. Like, we do those things. We're self-righteous. The cross rids us of our self-righteousness. Jesus reorients our lives to wholeness. Has that happened for you? Again, I'm not talking about morality or how you treat your kids or your wife or if your finances are in order and all these kind of like lifestyle things. I'm asking if God has divinely entered into your life. And now, if you're answering, you know, I don't know, probably not then. Probably not. If God entered your life, you know you know. And it's time to take a step of faith to ask him to reveal himself to you, to heal you of blindness, to heal you of deafness, to be able to see him, to be able to hear him, to be able to understand him. If you do not have this relationship with God, I want to invite you to take that step of faith this morning. And ask him to know, to no longer be deaf, to no longer be blind, to understand. And as Jane and the band lead us in worship, I want to give you an opportunity for that. And so I'll be in the front pew here uh, available to pray with you um, about this. We can talk after service if you're a little bit more shy and you just need some more space, you can email me. We can have a time to meet. I'd love to do that with you. At this time also, we're going to have communion. Communion is going to be a little different today. Um, you know, usually in communion, we come up and we, we take a, a little piece of cracker and we have a little grape juice that you dip it into. Today, we're giving you a roll, a whole roll. And let's wait for everybody before we take this communion together. And, and here's the idea. Jesus fed 4,000 people, and we kind of lose sight sometimes when we're taking communion that it's abundance. Like his love is abundant. His sacrifice for you was abundant. It was more than enough. If you want more than one roll, we can come back. Like there's a lot of rolls. Right? <laughs> But start out with one, okay? Don't be all greedy. Start out with one. And then take the communion and, and wait, and we'll all take it together. And just be reminded that 
His love for you is abundant. It's more than enough. It, to cover your sins and your, whatever you think is, is too bad for him to cover, it is not. It is more than enough. And so as the band comes up and leads us in worship, uh, the communion elements will be passed around. I'll be available for prayer right here in the front left here. And so I, I know a lot of moving pieces, but just be in consideration of, of those things that are going on and think through what's going on. And let me uh, pray. God, we thank you for this morning. And Lord, I want to pray specifically for people that don't see you or hear you yet, don't understand you yet. Um, I do find it kind of uncanny that I, I lost my glasses um, at, at this chapter and I'm, I'm not really able to see who's even out uh, in our church, but I just kind of get the sense, Lord, that we do have people who do not yet see you as Christ, as Savior, as one who loves them so deeply and has taken their sin upon, you've taken it upon yourself so that they can have true communion with God. And so let this be a wonderful, symbolic way that we do communion, that people do understand that you are much more than enough to provide for us in Jesus' name. Amen.